millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Glacier Fishing Company is now hiring processing crew to work on board our commercial fishing vessel, the Northern Glacier, in the Bering Sea of Alaska. This is an opportunity to join a great company and experience the adventure of life at sea. Glacier is offering a $1,500 sign-on bonus to Northern Glacier new hires that complete a full contract. To apply, visit our website at www.glacierfish.com. Hello. Oh, that was very Partridge. I'll, I'll, I'll do it again. I saved you from yourself there. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it again. I'll do it again. Keep this in. I don't care. Hello. My name is Dave Hanready. That was very teacher of me or something. I don't know. I'll try it. Third time's a charm, right? Hello. Yeah. My name is Dave Hanready and there'll be no encore. Welcome to episode 259 of the No Encore Music Podcast on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Every Friday, baby. Uh, Craig Fitzpatrick. How's it going, man? Not too bad, man. That sounded like it's getting to be a bit of a slog for you. Every no, Friday, no, 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 without no, fail. <laughs> no, I was just going for like... As relentless as the Grim Reaper's side. <laughs> so too, nah, will there be a new episode of No Encore? Yeah, death, taxes, and no encore. That's how it works. Uh, no, very happy to be here. Very busy week. Lots happening in the music world. Too much, yeah. you could say. Uh, but on this episode, we've whittled it down to lots of different things. Uh, we're going to do our top five instrumental songs this week which is based off the fact that we're reviewing the mogwai album as the love continues later in the show uh, which i will have a lot to say because i wrote a piece about it this week you did. um i did yeah and there was a big did. i was I, I was very um 
caught betwixt and between like wanting desperately to read it and being like is this just going to spoiler his album review for me um, no, because of course it was my, not just an album review so yeah, it was it's going to spoiler it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to spoiler my mental health journey of my entire <laughs> life uh, if you want to go read that piece which I presume we'll be discussing later on it sounds very vain of me to say but I, I simply wouldn't be able to review this album without discussing the piece simultaneously so for sure know, also yeah. you know this is a podcast I co-host, so I guess I'm allowed to be vain, you know? Here we go. Uh, it's my pinned tweet on Twitter if you want to go read it. It's called As the Love Continues. Anyway, we'll talk about that later in the show. But uh, yes, I hope you did read it, Craig, but if you didn't, you know. I did fine. indeed, yeah, Grand. yeah. Very much enjoyed it. <laughs> um, so yeah, enjoyed Mogwai, actually is the wrong word, but uh, it was a we'll, very we'll get to it. We'll, we'll, we'll get to it. 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 Mogwai album review coming later on. Top five instrumental songs as well. And like a fucking ton of news. There's so much news. But before we get there, um, I should note that uh, out now, if you have not got to it, we have our first track by track album breakdown episode of 2021 in the No Encore podcast feed with A. Smith discussing his debut album, Last Animals. It's a lengthy episode, a fun chat. I really enjoyed recording it. Some very nice feedback to it already. So go check it out if you're in the mood for that kind of thing. And do check out Last Animals. It's a very, very fine album indeed. Uh, this is the part where I plug our Patreon page. Thanks once again, as always, to everyone who supports the show over at patreon.com slash noencore. If you would like to become a patron and throw us the price of a pint or, you know, a golden speedboat, whatever you think is applicable, uh, that's that'll be amazing. And uh, it goes an awful long way. In return, you get our absolute love, of course, and you also get bonus episodes, including uh, our new recommends corner, our monthly recommends corner called No Ox Cord. We've one episode out so far. We'll be recording the next one this weekend to get it out early next week. Uh, there's a listener Q&A in there as well. There's a lost episode. There's all kinds of playlists and you get episode previews every week as well patreon.com slash no encore and as noted the next episode of no oxcord will be out on there in the coming days craig had a big smile on his face when i was doing that spiel what's going on man? i was just thinking when you said golden sp- speedboat I was, do you mean an actual speedboat constructed of gold because yep. that would probably slow it down okay i wasn't yeah, sure if it was that or like a cocktail that you were talking about no, get us a point p- or a golden speedboat let's get frisky <laughs> no, no i was thinking of a preposterously useless uh vanity symbol in the form nice. of a speedboat made of gold uh all right that's enough plugging for one episode hit the news sting adam <laughs> You heard about the good news? Thanks, Kanye, but we'll get Very to you. Very accomplished. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to Kanye West in a few minutes. There's actually only one place to start, and it's not the breakup of Kim Kardashian and Kanye West. That's our second story this week. Craig, what what could possibly be bigger than this? How about a band that have not recorded together in about, what, eight years, announcing that they are no longer recording together? Yeah, that sounds like a big enough thing for me. Who are you talking about, man? It's Daft Punk, those lovable oh. rascals. It's all over, dude. And um, everyone seems absolutely heartbroken. And as a fan of Daft Punk, I feel a little, I was going to say robotic there, <laughs> no pun intended, but like I had no real emotional reaction whatsoever. I had a bit of a, like a, a pang on Monday afternoon, had a Eurofan and went away. <laughs> like I, I do not read, I know they're seminal. I know they were hugely influential, a great band in their time, but as a news story, it's not really up there, is it, in terms of 2021 and all that's going on? Yeah, but it is, because everyone's talking about it. And as you say, there's been a genuine emotional reaction. I mean, whatever about your Nurofen habit that you're cultivating in the background there to get through the day. <laughs> I had no, one, all right? No judgment here. I haven't had um, one all day. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was counting the minutes. But like, so like essentially, this is a huge story in the sense that it's a huge story. Like people have talked to it as a huge story. But yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, they haven't released a album in full since 2013, that being Random Access Memories. Which we can talk about, I suppose, uh, seeing as that's apparently known for. We know how you feel for. about it. <laughs> I, I was on the phone today with someone and they said, oh, of course, that's one of the things you're famous for. And I was like, these are words in a sentence that don't make it's sense. your mother, I, wasn't it? <laughs> no, it wasn't, man. Okay, don't, yeah, listen. It's possible for other people to think of, you know, highly of me, you know, <laughs> Daft Punk fans, for example. Um, essentially, yes, they've called it a day, uh, having not done much for about eight years and... Only four studio albums. Um, some good ones, some bad ones, some interesting stuff in there. Fifty-fifty, uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I never saw them live, which upsets no. me. No, uh, I to. was wondering: was that one of the reasons people got so emotional about it? Because, of course, we're all going without live music at the moment, and we're all fantasizing about you know dream lineups when we eventually get back. And I think Daft Punk were one of those acts for everyone, myself included, where it was like, if you did not see their legendary shows, like what, over 10 years ago at this point, you're like, someday I'll see them, someday I'll, they'll return with a gigantic pyramid and we'll all be lifted off into space. And that is now no longer going to happen. So yeah, that was probably the most heartbreaking bit for me. Well, you sound very definitive there. I would disagree, sir. I think that it will happen. I think this is one big marketing stunt and they will, in fact, be back. And in fact, it's kind of genius, right? Because they've done nothing for so long, apart from, you know, pop up on a couple of weekend tracks and uh, provide the... I believe the incredible industrial synth barrage on On Sight by Kanye West, the first track on Yeezus. But like, essentially, this is genius because this is like nothing's happening right now. Everyone's clamoring for live music. They've got a big reputation as it is. Why don't we just say that we're quitting and come back in about, I don't know, I want to say six years because then they can do the... <laughs> I want to say six years. Well, I'll say six okay. years because they did like, you know, a live 97, a live 2007... And they could do a live 2027 and it'd be a huge deal. And the fact that they would be like welcomed back by a baying public who are desperate to be singing Get Lucky, you know, in a big field with lots of people. There is so much money on the table here. This isn't the Smiths. This isn't Oasis. You know, this is this is doable. No, no reason was given for the breakup. They posted a thing during the week. It was a video called Epilogue, which was the epilogue of their film Electro-Rama from 2006, in which one robot blows up the other. And then there was like a, you know... I believe there was a cut off uh, Random Access Memories because, you know, you want to pick your best stuff, I suppose, if you're going to say goodbye. Yeah. And then there was like, you know, uh, fucking whatever, 28 years, do the maths. And then their publicist told Pitchfork, yep, yeah, they're done. No reason given. And yeah. It reminded I mean, me a bit of the galaxy on these shores, the kind of we have completed the Gal- galaxy. I don't know. I'm not, I don't know if I'm, I'm usually quite cynical about these things, but it felt as much to me as they've been so kind of meticulous about their career and their legacy and their image that even if they kind of just drift apart, they will want to put their own kind of full stop on things. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, if there's only two of them, they can totally get back together. You know, it could happen. I don't think it's them playing the long game, though. But not only that, like, why don't... Let's let's say it's a thing that one of them doesn't want to do it anymore. Or let's say both of them don't want to do it anymore. Lads, you wear masks. Just pay a couple of lads <laughs> yeah. to pretend to be you and go around the world. Do ha, an MF Doom on it, yeah. Yeah, completely. Like, why not? And just sit at home and control it from your fucking laptop, you know? I mean, like, because, like I'm Dave, so- I don't know if you heard Random Access Memories, but no other humans could put together such a fine analog contraption 
<laughs> revitalizing the genre of rock and disco. Well, you know, thirty years dis- after its heyday, <laughs> he's being <laughs> he's being facetious, listener. But I'll hear him out. Uh, I will say, I threw on Random Access Memories today, doing my journalism for the show. It's been a while since I've listened to the thing, and I threw it on, and the first track comes along, "Give Life Back to Music," I believe it's called. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know what? I get it. I understand. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I understand. People get excited about this stuff. And it's a very, it's a big epic intro. And I'm like, cool. Right. Yeah. And then I'm like, maybe, maybe, maybe I am too cynical. Maybe I was wrong writing that article for Joe and, you know, regurgitating it every fucking six months when people come after me. (laughs) And then I was like, then the second track comes on, uh, which I think is called The Game of Love. And it is one of the worst songs I've ever heard in my entire life. And my God, the whole thing is just colossally downhill from there, with the exception of the occasional, and I do mean occasional, highlight, like Instant Crush, which you think is great. I love it's Touch. It's a bit of fun. Contact's good. There's some good Contact is good, but it's it. just a, it's just it's an like a kind of off. nice warm bath. Do you know what I mean? When I have it on the background, it's, <laughs> it's fine. It's, you know, it's kind of, the production is so nice and it's so smooth that it's just grand as kind of background wallpaper, but well, look, here's yeah, my, it didn't really here's my, of here's my latest Here's my latest hot take on Random Access Memories, right? And I've had many, of course. Indicative of the reaction to this split, I really do feel like a lot of people just have this kind of strange, like, there's a hypnosis in play here where people think they love that album. But I really would question (laughs) how often they actually have listened to it and go back to it. I think people just remember a really nice hot summer in 2013, and they remember the sound of that summer, Get lucky. Get lucky. And everyone's yeah. like, oh, it was a simpler time. We we're all out dancing and having a great time. I'm sorry. Who the fuck is throwing on this like 70 minute mess, you know, and being like, yeah, that's the one. That's easily the best Daft Punk album. It's kind I, of a I don't prog be- album. Like there is people that will enjoy that and be like, you know, on the right hi-fi with the right speakers. This is just like, listen to that playing. It's so good. It's almost Steely Dan-esque in that regard. Obviously, Steely Dan Dan songs are much better and the playing's much better, but it's kind of that... I can feel... Like, I, I could see that kind of Sunday afternoon, chin-stroking almost, listening sesh. I think it still goes on. Well, I will say, Sonic Architect Adam, who is currently putting a blanket over his legs <laughs> in, his, uh, in his own production space, did uh, shake his head and wag his finger quite, like, vehemently there at your assessment. And Adam is big into his, his vinyl, so I, I would trust him. Um, here's the thing, right? You said you had no emotion to the, to the split here. It is a big news story, whether we like it or whether we don't. I think they'll be back. Let's go all drowned in sound forum for a second. Just how good, where, slash, are they, Craig? What do you think? Overall, the career... Um, didn't live up to their potential overall, I would say, but based on the first two albums and a lot of their production work, and I guess, you know, bigger picture, their kind of world building, the kind of novelty they brought to music and how they just crossed genres and got people interested in different sounds, they probably achieved what they set out to do. I just wish there was a few stronger records in the back catalogue that are of a discovery of a kind of homework standard. Um, so yeah, disappointing, disappointing overall, but you know, did a job hang on, hang on, hang as on, I man. turn into a fucking football manager. Did a job. <laughs> Got the three points. That's all that matters. Um, achieve what they, what they set out to do. What is that? Like steal other people's music and pass it off as theirs? Or do you feel like they actually did? Ah, come innovate? on. I mean, come on. They, what? you know. They, no, 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 hang on a second. I mean, like, like, what have I said that is technically wrong? Allegedly, allegedly, I mean, they used a lot of samples, of course, but, I mean, very much... You fucking heard Robot world Rock, have you? That, <laughs> coming you heard from that a world that does that, 
constantly and a culture that does i mean to kind of single them out amongst their peers as people that did that is kind of maybe missing the point like that that's what they were doing they were kind of unashamed about that that was their approach to music making until that last album where maybe the wheels started coming off (laughs) well i don't know i thought it was very interesting to kind of see the reaction on places like stereogum like their comment section where people were genuinely heartbroken i was like I don't know. They were a big I mean, band for loads of people. They were kind well, of a gateway this band, is, I think. Yeah, I, this was, is the part where it's just a parallel I, universe that I wasn't really a part of. Well, well this is the part later. where I raise my hand because I kind of want to redress like the, the balance here. You know, yes, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, I I wrote an article for Joe about Random Access <laughs> Memories being terrible. <laughs> I'm sure everyone does know, but in case you don't, I wrote it and uh, uh, trashing that album and I kind of got a lot of hate mail and I continue to get hate mail literally to as recently as this month before this split was announced. Um, so I've kind of taken on this character as like someone who despises Daft Punk. I want to just clarify, I don't. I actually love a lot of their stuff. I think they have some fucking incredible stuff. Like, like I actually like, I'm more on the side of Daft Punk than I'm not. Um, I love, you know, Hipster, yeah, the earlier stuff, yada, yada, like, but they have incredible, like, Digital Love, Face to Face, Rolling and Scratching, obviously the big fucking radio-friendly bangers, Aerodynamic, One More Time, etc. Even uh, what they did for, like, the weekend sound, I, th- I thought was great. Like, do you know what I mean? I just love yeah, that palette they're they come okay. from. They're okay. No, they're good. They're good. Like, I love those touches. I think it's very distinctive. I think they invented something new. I know they pillaged rootlessly, um, but they did their own thing and they brought it to bear on other people's work rest in peace until 2027 you magnificent french robots let me ask you this question craig what's a better song harder better faster stronger or stronger by kanye west stronger by kanye west dave next well, question it's good. <laughs> it's good that you're coming in with that spirit he'll want to hear some good stuff right now because unfortunately uh the marriage is no more here to tell <laughs> like, us more about this intros <laughs> here to tell us more about this from the entertainment corner of the world is craig fitzpatrick Oh, I'm doing this, am I? <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm all out of steam. <laughs> like, <Are> we- <laughs> oh no! <laughs> it really is your turn. Craig on Kanye. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> <laughs> Those black skinhead drums, man. I really can't talk about a TMZ story with this bed of music. Yeah, and we want to clarify here as well. I want to clarify here as well. Like, I mean, I like we don't think this is a funny story. We're both big Kanye West fans, and we hope everyone is okay. But I don't of know, course, giddy, and I you suppose. know what? It's maybe it's maybe a lighter story because it seems like everyone is kind of okay with what's going on. Yes, yeah, it's, it's um, amicable. As yeah, TMZ have said the divorce is as amicable as a divorce can be. Um, it seemed to be a long time coming. Um, I believe they were living separately for quite a while. We don't really want to get into tabloidy stuff, but obviously Kanye's been quite to the fore of the news in the last year or so. There's been numerous kind of episodes. It's been a struggle for that family. Um, Kim has seen like something of a rock for him, um, while at the same time, the kind of fact that he was brought into the world of keeping up with the Kardashians and having his kind of everyday life just constantly documented and recorded and his family's life, that must have been an added pressure on him, which is now thankfully over. It seems like it might be something that's best for everyone. Obviously, you know, when there's kids involved, it's just a horrible situation. But yeah, I guess the overriding message is we wish them all the best. 
100% and seriously congratulations for getting through that as the relentless drumbeat continues. I thought at some point it would die down, but no, Adam was just <laughs> staring me out of it throughout that. <laughs> yeah, that was intense. Um, yeah, no, for reals, we're huge fans of Kanye West on this show, without question. And also, it should be added, I don't think Kim Kardashian is a war criminal, so I hope they're both okay. I hope I hope the kids yeah, are all and also, right, all that kind of stuff. You yeah, know. you know, you've I've seen a few comments knocking around where it's just like, oh, he's going to make one of his best ever albums now which is just like I don't think it's really the time or place and it's certainly not while, for my while head I, that. Yeah, while I agree with that statement I am of course on record you know when attacking albums like Man of the Woods it's, and changes by Justin Bieber etc I'm on record Craig as saying that you know Heartbroken People do make very good music 808s and Heartbreak is my Another favorite Kanye West album you know like as a matter of fact it arrived on vinyl this week I figured that now was the time to buy it and so I went out and I put some money in the man's pocket you know very good for his third uh, very, best album. Yeah, nice. I'm, uh, like it, it's you say third best, I say best. One of us. I is can't right. rank them. Do you know what? The, one remains at the top, which is um, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy, and then the others are all interchangeable. Such a strong catalogue. Uh, fourth best if you ask me but we'll move on um so yes obviously the divorce papers have got the green light you know they're going through another thing that has been officially confirmed this week it's <laughs> the reading and leeds festival you know also one getting door, the green light yeah one door closes uh, a giant field opens up uh, of course um if you haven't been paying attention to the uk uh, apparently on the 21st of June it's all over no more COVID-19 and fair play to them for somehow figuring that one out but it appears to be all restrictions lifted over there um, towards the end of June it's not too far away is it um, and as a result the Reading and Leeds Music Festivals will go ahead in late August according to their organisers at the moment Stormzy Post Malone and Liam Gallagher oh, are confirmed acts to so headline. enticing <laughs> <laughs> the twin events let's go uh, over Dave come on <laughs> we can quarantine just, for two weeks <laughs> why not you know 27th to 29th of August um, this is all about England's big roadmap out of lockdown and yeah the tweet that went up on um, the Reading and Leeds festival Twitter account was following the government's recent announcement we can't wait to get back to the fields this summer and then block capitals let's go let's go um, <laughs> so my question for you Craig is so we're recording this now in the last week of February this is set for the last week of August. In what month will this be cancelled? Oh, I don't think it will be cancelled because I think... Really? Okay. Yeah. Because I think Brexit. <laughs> I think the British are being so bullish about everything. This is very much a kind of, like, grin and bear and just, like, plough ahead with the festival. Um, I think it might be slightly downsized, but I think there'll be a lot of saving face and just trying to make sure this happens. I mean, if their roadmap is correct, technically this should kind of be all right, right? Am I uh, am I wrong? Well, no, you're not wrong based on the information that you're, you know, deciphering. But like that roadmap uh, is bizarre, you know. Yeah, I like I feel like the problem the problem for the festival could be if something goes wrong. Their thoughts would be that if they're booking acts now, paying all the expense. If something goes wrong, they have no real insurance or cover for it, and. But obviously, if they're just bullish enough about announcing it going ahead, they should be kind of all right. As well, long so. as, you know. I mean, I will say I find it fascinating. Like a part of me now is very much watching with interest to see what this will look like if it goes ahead. Um, especially like, you know, you think about like acts that are coming in from other countries. Uh, what will that look like? Is that possible? We don't know yet. This is very much a guinea pig situation on a huge, huge scale. Uh, of course, Glastonbury's not going ahead. We know that. Uh, before that, though, I mean, like, 
Longitude over here in Marley Park is still set to happen in the middle of July. What will that Ireland look like at that point? Yeah, it was, <laughs> we're kind of lagging behind and maybe being a bit more sensible as well. So that that's a twin attack of no festival, I think. Not to be totally flippant about it, but yeah, Irish festivals this summer, I can't really see it, see it happening. Even if everything was okay, that kind of... The public sentiment around everyone at the moment is like gagging to get back to normality, but I think it's going to be different when we're faced with the reality of like stepping back outside and negotiating who's vaccinated and who's not. And the fact that we haven't all been together in a year. And I don't know if the appetite will be there straight away for everyone to just plunge into the mosh pits. Like, <laughs> Well, how's, um, how's your attitude for Primavera at this point in time? Um, waning. If, if it was moved to say in October... A nice kind of Barcelona October. I could maybe see myself doing it. You're not camping, do you know what I mean? You're kind of in and you're out, but I can't really see it going, going ahead this year. But um, yeah, I don't know. Reading and Leeds. I mean, the opportunity to see <laughs> Leamy G swaggering up to the mic, belting out Wonderwall and Little James or whatever. <laughs> yeah, not for me. What about you? How are you feeling about the whole thing? Oh, Catfish and the Bottom Catfish and the Bottom You know, they're there as well. Uh, disclosure. The apparent, yeah. Queens of the Stone Age, you know, the time to become a fan of mediocre music for a while, I think. Uh, but I guess we shall see what happens. It is one of those kind of classic watch this space. I mean, I will say that, like, in a way, it's heartening to see that, like, them being bullish about it and being kind of like, this is happening. It's like, OK, cool. We need I do think we need stuff like that. We need the uh, like idea there. But then, of course, there's also the cynical side of things where it's like, well, if you kind of know that it probably won't happen, are you being irresponsible selling tickets? Are you being respon- ir- irresponsible planting the seeds of hope? Or, you know, do we actually, like, are, like are, would we as a public be okay, you know, with this kind of hit and hope kind of thing, you know, and being like, well, look, I expect that it probably won't go ahead. I hope it does. I won't get my hopes up too high. I won't be annoyed if it does get cancelled. It's just going to be very interesting to watch the fallout of all this. And as well, listen, I mean, who knows? Late August, this whole thing could be so different in a positive way. I hope so. We all do. Yeah. But it is who interesting. Knows? Who knows? It's <laughs> like, interesting to me that, like, you know, Glastonbury was going with the cautious approach, obviously a lot earlier, but, like, it kind of feels like the festivals are, like, personified. Do you know what I mean? It's like Glastonbury, of course, is kind of like, oh, I don't know, we need to be careful and, you know, look at our environment and listen to the health and safety. And then Reading and Leeds is like, fuck it, mask off, let's go. Crank up the guitars, baby, yeah, we're yeah. back. Um, <laughs> all right, well, you know, like I say, that announcement originated on Twitter. Twitter itself is always a hotbed for discussion, quite often when it comes to music and such. Craig, I believe you've gone deep on the old social media platform this week. I mean, I haven't gone that deep. I've couldn't paste a story into our running order, which I will now read for you. I was I was making you sound good there, man, but that's okay. You know, if you want to strip it all back. Sorry, on Twitter, by the way, do you still have your Christmas photograph up, by the way? What's of course, yeah. I'm not removing that Santa hat until we're all vaccinated. That is my it's almost you, March, the listener, man. and you. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Still Christmas in my heart. All right. It was a very, okay. very meaningful Christmas. I don't know what it to was, tell you. Yeah. No, you're right. It was. I'm sorry. I overstepped the line there. I do apologize. Back in my box I go. Uh, BTS have taken the top spot in terms of Twitter's list of the most popular artists around. Are you surprised by this, Dave? Um, they've no. beaten off the likes of Kanye West, Beyonce, Drake. Um, I was surprised that they beat Kanye considering the year he had last year. 
Although, of course, they've such a huge fan base. To be honest, I put this story in because it's further proof that we should do a dedicated BTS episode at some point because I, I want to do that deep dive, I think. I think there's okay. a lot to unpack. Yeah, um, we've talked about this before, how like we would love to do like a K-pop episode, but we're also painfully aware that we're not the most qualified to do it and we should probably find some people who are. So I'll yeah. look into it, I guess. But it, it is a fascinating thing, right? I mean, I, I hesitate to label it a subculture. It's its own thing. It's, a, it's its own massive genre, its own massive corner of yeah. the world, which indeed um, has become worldwide. And I think in terms of Twitter, it became political last year as well where we saw k-pop fans really kind of sticking it to the man um in a lot of good ways actually you know we often talk about uh, stan culture and how that can be quite toxic but there was some kind of um you know good campaigns the k-pop fans got behind which is great to see um there was a lot of things taken into account putting together these lists so you know various band member names and mentions and stuff the fact that there's seven of them probably helped as well do you know what i mean against one little old kanye all on his own um but well, yeah. he is now yeah tough he week from now in yeah, um, i took that pause of just being like jesus well look listen i mean you can talk about your k-pop all day mate how about some brit pop and by brit pop i mean pop of a british nature and there's no bigger artist in british pop history than robbie williams is there well that yeah, seems the to Beatles. be the thinking <laughs> uh, don't, 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 don't know what you mean <laughs> What did I, did I involuntarily shake my head there uh, as I as I went to pivot away? Um, we're getting a Rob Williams film. That's what's happening. The director of The Greatest Showman, a film I've still not seen, is making a biopic. I always get this fucking word biopic? wrong. Biopic. I think it is biopic. I think it is biopic. I've been I've been given out to before for getting it wrong. So I yeah, don't freeze worry about every it. time. I'm going to give out out to you here, Dave. It's all right. I free- <laughs> I freeze every time I see it, man. Um, yeah, so listen, Robbie Williams, kind of, um, you know, like he's known around the world, but I guess, you know, the Europe, the Europe would be his biggest catchment area. He didn't quite crack America as he threatened to. Um, but there was a report on American website deadline this week that the film by the name of Better Man would be a fantastical coming of age story about Robbie Williams' ascent in the music industry. And yeah, the quote here is very what you would expect. Unlike some people who were born prodigies or musical geniuses, and you follow the narrative of the world catching up to their brilliance, this isn't that story. Okay? <laughs> of course not. Uh, <laughs> Robbie is that everyman who just dreamed big and followed those dreams, and they took him to an incredible place. This whole script was born of errors of Robbie and myself getting together at this recording studio he has at his house. We would just leave the microphone on and record and chat for hours. Some sections weren't great, and in the last five minutes he would say something that was so honest and truthful, it blew my mind. I can't wait to see this script. It sounds like an absolute mess. Um, For me, if you're making a Robbie Williams film, I feel like it's jukebox musical or bust, right? you got to go the Rocketman route and just play those songs every five minutes. Yeah, I mean, he's Mr. Light Entertainment, so just stick to that. Just, you know, the film should be invested with that spirit of entertainment. Just go for that. I don't want some, like, you know, Oscar-baiting warts and all. Look, at, listen, he's he's had a, a, an up-and-down kind of career, and he's been very open about his difficulties over the years. Um, he's a really interesting character, actually, joking aside. Um, and he's, he's very kind of self-aware at this point. Um, so, yeah... It, I don't know. I just, I just don't see this working. Um, uh, I wish I him well. <laughs> Again, I'm ending yet another story. <laughs> but I wish him well. I, I wonder will there be a happening. section. 
Yeah, yeah, actually, do you know what? This screams development hell, doesn't it? Yeah, no, this yeah. is going to be the Jamie Vardy film all over again. Remember they were going to make a Jamie Vardy film? And I was like, that'll take years. Leicester have won the league now. They're probably no, that's not a fairytale story. Do you know what but I mean? <laughs> that's got a nice kind of three-act si- situation to it going on. Yeah, for sure. Like, I don't know if Robbie has that. No, and like with Jamie Vardy, you're getting like incredible music as well. So jukebox musical, a go-go. Uh, like I say, there are lots of news this week, Craig. We're skipping over some stuff, like kind of news and brief, just some quick follow-ups here. Um, Bruce Springsteen's DUI charge was thrown out. So uh, l- l- good luck to that arresting officer next time he goes into a New Jersey local bar. All right. When they come back open, uh, Taylor Swift is countersuing the Evermore theme park and Chance the Rapper is countersuing his former manager who is, of course, suing him. Uh, yeah, just quick updates on those, I suppose. What else is going on in the world? There's a Bruce Springsteen podcast with Barack Obama on Spotify that everyone seems to say is actually pretty good and not just a cash grab, but I don't know because I haven't listened to it. Uh, you've got something here about Lana Del Rey, I believe. Yeah, she was just talking about Amy Winehouse and how moved and affected she was by her passing and how she actually considered quitting music for some time just after it. Um, which was, yeah, that was a kind of seismic um, news story at the time. Really still shocking and such a sad story and clearly a huge influence on her, uh, Lana Del Rey. We're still waiting for new music. Um, Chemtrails Over the Country Club is out soon, right? She's also done a covers album of like country songs as well. There's a lot happening with Lana Del Rey as ever. I would like to point out before we wrap up the news section that the final story this week was chosen by Craig Fitzpatrick who recently chastised me for fixating and crowbarring the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame into our running orders and I thought, okay, he's got a point, I won't do that again. Craig, what's the next story about? Well, that was until Twisted Sister frontman Dee Snyder <laughs> lashed out against the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, Dee says the committee's elitist and arrogant. Um, basically, was backing up um, Iron Maiden's Bruce Dickinson and said he would refuse induction. It was a bit of a Twitter kind of rant, I want to say. A lot of these kind of old rockers now are just getting a little too involved in conversations with their fans on Twitter. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, someone needs to take the phone off them. But I just liked how at the very end it gets quite conspiracy theory-ish um, as he singles out Jan Wenner, who co- co-founded uh, Rolling Stone, being the puppet master since day one. If it ain't in Rolling Stone, it's hard-pressed to get into the Hall of Fame. So yeah, it's all nasty Jan's fault. Developing uh, story, Dave. We'll come back to it next week. <laughs> I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll wade through the trenches on this one. I, I was going to say that, like, no matter what the story, always happy to hear someone, you know, referred to as a puppet master. It, it, it's one of those ones that just always works for me. It's great. Yeah. It's just that ridiculous imagery. Uh, yeah. So, like, busy news section. We're obviously quite shaken by the whole Daft Punk situation, but we're going to pull ourselves up and we're going to get ready for this album review. But first... There are, of course, other podcasts available not just on Spotify with big names like Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen. There are lots of podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network for you to enjoy, including this one, which is returning for a brand new season. I'm Gerald Farrelly and I'm the host of Fascinated. Have you ever wondered about the pop bands you liked as a teenager? What went on behind the scenes? We had played this like grand prank. It sounds terrible, but I'm just so relieved it's over. And then they had this like great idea of getting another girl in who looked like Heavenly. What did they do afterwards? And all of a sudden you're like, that's the end of that. It was all blowing up and it all kind of just unraveled. And I thought it would last forever and it didn't. Check out Fascinated with me, Gerald Farrelly on the Headstuff Podcast Network. One band that seem, I guess, purpose-built to last forever is Mogwai, Scottish titans of a a genre you might call post-rock. 
They might not want to be called that, though. It's one of those kind of weird complications. But they make sweeping, instrumental, beautiful cinematic music, which had a big effect on me this week in particular. Here's a track called Richie Sacramento from the album As the Love Continues. Braithwaite, the guitarist from Mogwai there, on vocals on the track Richie Sacramento from the album As The Love Continues. It is the band's 10th effort. Um, they don't normally go in for vocals, though, every now and then, but very yeah. rarely at this stage. Here to explain that confusing element of the band and much more is Craig Fitzpatrick. I feel like I'm explaining Mogwai to you, Dave, which is very disconcerting. So yeah, Mogwai, uh, of course, one of Glasgow's finest Um they're no Blue Nile, but then who is? But as you said, a standard-bearing post-rock outfit, though they hate the turn, term. Um, I think they just turned 25 there last year. Very much a kind of critic's choice. Um, you know, Peel championed back in the 90s. Read this week that Steve Malkmus took them on tour after their first ever US tour and called them the first band of the 21st century. Uh, so, you know, plenty of 21st century bands have come and gone uh, since then, but Mogwai remain. And for any kind of band in that position, they, you know, every record feels like they're kind of grappling more with their own past, maybe, than really pushing uh, the boundaries uh, anymore, which is just, you know, comes with the territory of being so established and having such kind of hit such high watermarks. This is their 10th studio album. Uh, it's another lockdown record. Um, so I think those kind of limitations and maybe novelties separate this from 2017's Every Country Sun, which was also produced by Dave Friedman. Um uh, we reviewed it on this very show as well at the time. And yeah, there's been soundtrack work in between, as there always is. It's not quite business as usual. It's their new normal <laughs> record. Um, but yeah, their stuff is always kind of an event for fans and for, um, I gather, for you, Dave, this week. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like a, a few prefaces, I guess. I should say that you and I had said before that we wouldn't review this album because it is difficult to come up with new things to say for a Mogwai record, especially 10 albums in. We liked Every Country Sun, but you do find yourself just being like, these are instrumental songs of a certain stripe. Um, there's definitely a template and an aesthetic at play here. Can we really add anything to the conversation? Can their albums even add anything to the conversation at this point in the road? Uh, and I guess it was kind of a dead week this week. And then after a few listens, I was like, no, I think we should do this. Um, and I'm glad that we are. Um, also, it should be noted that... Um, there's quite a campaign going on at the moment, particularly for the UK, because they're in the race for the number one over there, um, up against Foo Fighters, who are currently on top and have been for the last two weeks. Obviously, I think we'd all be more than happy if they were knocked off their fucking perch, to quote Alex Ferguson. Um, but I don't know if Mogwai are going to make it all the way. They're facing some strong competition, not just from Foo Fighters, but also from uh, UK Act Gets as well. But I should say that like, what started out as what I thought was quite a spirited, um, you know, let's get these independent graphics 
rafters to number one. And I saw the likes of like the actor Elijah Wood being like, let's do this, people. I think Malcolmus himself tweeted about it. Robert Smith of The Cure, Low, lots of others. Lemmy, yeah. And I was like, this is a great little thing. And like, they certainly deserve it. But I have to say, I can't deny that the gloss has been taken off it just a little bit. But I've seen Stuart Braithwaite uh, has been really pushing this. And he's he's kind of trying to get like celebrities involved. And I saw that from the yeah. Mogwai account just today on Thursday. They Absolutely. added Ricky, Ricky Gervais. Gervais. <laughs> and they were like, can you give us a wee or a tea to get us? And I'm just like, it just seems so unmogwai. Hi, Ricky. Yeah, it really yeah, does, isn't it? It was like, oh, is this an intern? Like, what is this? I can't imagine it will be. It's but kind it was of very endearing, much like, though, isn't it? It's that kind of endearing, kind of but it also feels like... curmudgeons are like finally seeing their moment and they're <laughs> chasing it yeah, down. Yeah, I don't know. I just took the gloss off it just a little bit. But yeah, and I guess the third kind of preface before we get into this is to say that like... um yeah, I found my, I, I, like I wrote a very personal piece this week, but also, uh, it's funny because like we got a, we got a very nice message from a listener, uh, last week on our Patreon page, someone who sent us a message and the message started off by saying, he saw like a preview of it and said, love you guys. Craig is always right. And I was like, oh, wow. And there was, you know, there was a longer message there. And I, you know, nice things were said about me too. But I was like, Craig is always right. And so I found myself, Craig, with no other choice than to uh, connect to this album so strongly and write an incredibly personal piece about my mental health and about music and about how this album in particular has really helped me out of the mire. Um, So that when we came to review it, that if you had the experience of thinking that this was just another Mogwai album, that you simply <laughs> wouldn't be able to do that because, you know, this was all one big elaborate scheme for me to challenge the idea of your infallibility, basically. Um, but no, of course it was not. Um, I should say that, like, on this show, we always talk about the idea of music as something that can power you and, you know, something you can kind of take around with you and have a personal experience with and preferably something of a cathartic nature. And I, you know, on this show, I'm obviously no stranger to talking about my own mental health struggles um, and my connection with music thereof. I talked about it quite a bit on the uh, tracks and the Albums of the Year episode in December about the Touche Amore record from last year, Lament, and how it really had a physical, visceral, intrinsic effect upon me. And how, I think I also mentioned on that, sh- uh, like, on on that recording that uh, I've rather fallen out of love with writing and I found it really hard to write. Something I was obviously doing on a daily basis when I worked in Joe and something that I love doing quite a bit and I feel like I've gotten good at over the years, but I do feel like I've kind of lost my place in that regard over the last 12 months and it's been really, really difficult. I tried actually over Christmas to write about the Touche Amore record in that regard and I just couldn't get the words out. I tried to write about Linkin Park and the anniversary of Hybrid Theory and I just couldn't get the words out. My arms would feel like lead and my brain would just feel like it was all fogged up. Uh, Monday just gone this week, I found myself sitting at my desk at like 10 in the morning or something. And it was the day of what was supposed to be my final therapy session. I ended up missing the appointment because I got the time wrong, but I just found myself, I just was compelled to open up like a, a medium, like that blog website thing, which I've wrote one thing on before. And I just, I guess, buoyed by how I was feeling and how I was feeling in, in relation to this record, particularly having listened to it quite a lot over the weekend um, I just found myself spilling out words onto the page and I wrote a piece called As the Love Continues. If you want to read it, if you haven't, um, if you go to my Twitter at HanReadyDave, it's my pinned tweet. And I, yeah, like I, I just basically wrote this kind of narrative and more so than anything else, I just wanted to finish it. I wanted to actually write something from start to finish. And I did over the course of Monday night slash Tuesday morning in the end and shared it online. 
shook like a fucking leaf for about half an hour to an hour after I put it out. Not the first time I've written something like of this nature, but you know, it's always a strange thing to do, I think in some mm. respects. And um, the first thing I should say as well is I'm sure there are people listening to this episode who did read it and may very well have messaged me afterwards as well. Cause like quite a few people did, uh, I'm very overwhelmed by the reaction to the piece. Uh, I am also keenly aware that this is supposed to be an album review, but I'll just say real quick that I am, uh, genuinely very overwhelmed by what people have said to me in the preceding days. I feel an awful lot better for having written it and for having put right. it out there. Um, I often don't quite know how to react when people do say that kind of stuff to me in a nice way. And, you know, I hope that I reacted okay in, in, in that fashion to anybody who did message me. And, and even right now, as I'm kind of, you know, slightly tripping over my words, um, it's a very emotional thing. And, you know, it was, like, it's a nice reminder that like, oh yeah, hang on. No, no. Like there is a lot of love out there for an awful lot of people who need it. And I think I just hit a point where I needed it. And in fairness, I, the first push on it was this album. Um, it's funny because I don't think that this is like a 10 out of 10. I don't think it's like a perfect reinvention of a band. I don't think it's an incredibly flawless record. I don't think it's a, like, you know, it's it's certainly, you know, familiar in terms of Mogwai's music because they're hardly going to reinvent the wheel at this stage, are they? And I'm very much, you know, someone who was looking to have a connection with an album. But I think you can't force that, you know. I mean, there's lots of albums that have come and gone in the last 12 months, two years or whatever. And, you know, only only some of them might hit you that way. And this one did. I mean, this one just kind of like, I don't know, it was maybe less than four or five, you know, a few days in when something just began to click, something just began to kind of, I guess, spirit itself into me. Um, it's something I talk about in that piece, the idea of like, I find it hard to describe that kind of music on in words. I, I feel it more than anything else. And there are some albums, um, you know, recently referenced, like on this show, like Woo Life, um, Go Tell Fire to the Mountain and lots of others, the Touche Amore one I just mentioned there. And this kind of joins that rank, you know, um, like I'm really, really, uh, <laughs> like, nervous about throwing back to Craig to be like, well, for me, it was just another Mogwai album, but I could tell you understand if it was, and I could tell you understand if it was for anybody. Um, I think there's just some kind of alchemy here in this one. And maybe it's because it's their 10th album. Maybe it's because there's some kind of like goodwill in the air for the band as well. I'm, I was certainly definitely like projecting myself because of the position I'm in at the moment, but I have spent the week with this one and, you know, I actually got it on vinyl as well. And that kind of arrived yesterday and I was just listening to it there and, the the biggest compliment I can pay about this thing is that like I legitimately was transported somewhere better and it made me it gave me the push to to try and put that down onto a page which I haven't been able to do for so so long um and so I find it hard to give this a score rating I find this so hard to like qualify it in any other way than it's just like I'm fucking so happy it exists. And it made me go back to more like older kind of Mogwai stuff. And I made a playlist for, uh, for a friend of mine this week. And I was just like, Jesus Christ. I mean, like what a special band, you know, I'm so glad they exist. Well, Dave, your ruse worked. Congratulations. <laughs> um, because it's actually a, a 9.5 for me. Um, Are you serious? Well, your essay, I mean. Okay, <laughs> it was very brave. Uh, it was a great articulation of complex emotions and it actually made me feel better, which I think the best writing does. As for the album, it's more of a 7 out of 10, I'm going to have to say, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know what? You've made probably, you've probably preempted a lot of my points because obviously this isn't my first uh, Mogwai rodeo. Um, 
I think my touchstone will always kind of remain their like aching, minimal backing of Zinedine Zidane, narrowly edging out a victory against Villarreal back in 2005 or something like that. But yeah, I, I remember reviewing Riot Tapes for Hot Press. We obviously did the last record. A lot of my memories of this band are deadlines and cramming in listens uh, on lunch breaks. Um, whereas there's clearly markers in this one where it just feels like it must feel like a familiar kind of hug, embrace for a fan. They never really fully sucked me in, even though I have massive respect for them. Um, but there were portions of this that grabbed me in a way that the last few releases just haven't. And that from the outside kind of suggested a new kind of vein of vitality. Um, I could see why this might be a, a chance to rekindle Um some love for the band if you've been out of the loop for a few records for sure and I don't quite know what that is there just seem to be shades of like when I've listened to their early work um the likes of come on die young I just heard a lot of that in this I do, I do think there was a bit of a, a fall off for me uh so much so that I would say the first four tracks I've been listening to pretty incessantly like I think they're fantastic Richie Sacramento came out a while ago Obviously, vocals on that one. Um, that's been a bit of an anthem, um, even getting radio plays of late. So that's, you was already very fond of that. And yeah, the first kind of four tracks feel like a microcosm of everything that Mogwai do really well. Um, the kind of cinematic stuff is there, even nods to kind of electronica, Aphex Twin nods, um, the really great gnarly riffs. But thereafter, like I think from Drive the Nail On, which... Drive the Nail kind of felt a bit dunderheaded to me or something like that. And same with Fuck Off Money. Ceiling Granny is really interesting because it's like, it feels like a kind of Smashing Bumpkins instrumental or something. Like it just Big really time, sticks yeah, out usually, in a way yeah. where I'm like, it feels a bit like audacious or like it, it doesn't fit in with the rest of the record and I like it, but it kind of derails my listen. It's like that gnarled, like fuzzed up riff. It just feels like you should be clanking your like wallet chain to it. Uh, <laughs> so that's a bit of fun, but it kind of destabilizes my listen a little bit. Midnight Flit has some really uplifting strings and horns and stuff on it, which is great. But from there, yeah, it just to me felt like it became a bit by numbers and just reading some Stuart Brightweight interviews from the last few weeks I mean he talks a lot about being aware as a band that they've been around for a while and they can keep repeating themselves and being pushed by Dave Friedman and trying to kind of do not do the obvious at every turn and he even points to a, a few moments I think in Seal and Granny maybe it's Midnight Flit where he was making mistakes and he, they just sounded good so he kept them in and that kind of Mogwai personality really shines through they're not an anonymous kind of post-rock band so that carries the day but really yeah once I got to the midway point I was kind of losing list, losing interest on kind of repeated listens those first four tracks though are fantastic I will say so it's a 7 out of 10 for me yeah, I, I, like I hope that you feel terrible about yourself as a human being. Uh, I do, I do, as, as per usual when we record the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, obviously I'm joking, listener. I love him to pieces, but the thing is, I completely understand. I, I, I don't have like a hardcore. Uh, will never die, but you will. Um, it responds to you essentially being like, "How dare you?" Because it's like I totally get it. I mean, I, I, I really do feel like in another month and another year, there's every chance I could listen to this album and be like, "Yeah, same old Mogwai, you know, good stuff, lads. Glad you're still at it." Um, and there are definitely some tracks on here that aren't, you know, anywhere near as strong as some of the other ones. I do think it ends extremely well, though. I think I think the last two tracks, supposedly we were nightmares, and it's what I want to do, Mom, are excellent. I love the opener. Uh, to the bin, yeah. my friend, tonight we vacate Earth, which opens with a vocal by Blank Mass, 
and the way do you know how that came Benjamin together? John Power he was recorded in his sleep wasn't he or something just yeah. kind of saying that line which is great he I re- love those kind of in jokes and yeah 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 he records himself in the sleep apparently and has like a different voice and that was just something he said and they're like well that's going in yeah um yeah I mean in fairness like for me this was more a case of like it was almost like um re- like you know reacquainting yourself with an old friend who you had a great relationship with and for sure. you know maybe you bump into each other on the other side of the world someday and you're like oh man I'm just so grateful and you know we still we still got some magic and some chemistry here um I think I was obviously in a place where I needed something to come along and you know grab me and this did it and I was very happy that it was a new album that it was something new it wasn't just like an old favorite or anything um so yeah I like I've clearly had a very emotional reaction to this at a time when I'm feeling especially emotional um and that should be you know factored into my 8.5 out of 10 score here but at the same time it's like yeah and like what i would say as well if you've listened this far and you've actually never really listened to mogwai i mean like something i should say is i think that this is i think it would work as an introduction for somebody you know like 10 albums in they've also had like a rake of soundtrack albums and the eps and all kinds of other stuff so they have a they have a very overwhelming back catalog and they're kind of an overwhelming band as it like as it is this kind of music you know some of these songs are like very long and they can be repetitive and you do have to be in the mood sometimes and yeah it's more that i was just like i was in the mood for this yeah you know on the flip side because there's no real objective views on music um maybe my mood was at the moment i'm kind of like looking for maybe a lot of intimacy in music and just you know with lockdown and stuff like that and some of this there was definitely moments and huge personality points but some of this felt like it was almost like too enormous for my (laughs) home office and kind of like I'm definitely, I'm not going to give it the kiss of death where it's like, you know, this could be great live, but you know, some of it was kind of arena shaped and will be amazing eventually. Do you know what I mean? So oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's the way I felt with they're, they are a superb live act as well and hopefully they get the chance to celebrate this in that regard so and yeah. I mean in fairness I think as well like you know and not to just throw in a unnecessary dig here but like as a contrast to the Foo Fighters album recently which is itself oh. the, the 10th album from a from a, a primer like, like, like a rock act with three guitarists I think we know which one is the yeah, more for sure. valuable to spend your time with but yeah again for reals like legitimately thank you so much to anybody who read that piece and who reached out about it because it, it, it meant a lot to me um, alright so listen it's top five time and in honor we're going to do instrumental songs uh i think this is one that we're probably both feeling a bit nervous about um because it is kind of nope bullish <laughs> bullish he <laughs> says. bravado yeah i guess like it's it's true enough it's similar to like reviewing a, a mogwai album an explosions album like there's no lyrics you know there's so you kind of it's it's hard we're gonna try and not be repetitive ourselves and go on for too long but we'll see how it goes uh what was your approach this week craig on this very niche one that we're doing yeah, niche, but also like wide perimeters, which I had to narrow as ever. So I felt for these, they had to kind of work independently as songs. I was looking at kind of, you know, things I think are really impressive, but actually it's in the wider context of a kind of wider work or an album. Um, so they were left out. And then um, that was just, you know, a stipulation in my own brain, um, which is the new title for my memoirs. Um, also that kind of factored in, I did, I didn't go for any like film themes or anything like that, like original kind of film stuff, just because I thought that would open the floodgates and, you know, we've award seasons around the corner or whatever. Um, as we all know, I'm a bit of a jazz man these days, so I didn't go deep on that, uh, show you mercy and not get in the weeds about that. Um, 
But yeah, it was interesting kind of picking these because, you know, you're, it's shorn of a lot of the thematic stuff and the lyrics that you kind of hang your hat on when doing these top fives. So it became just about like the kind of goosebumps moments, um, the butterfly in the stomach moments, which are hard to translate. So I just went for five songs that felt like kind of fast acting drugs, essentially, and popular ones, no classical. But Craig, Butterfly by Crazy Town has lyrics in it, and I agree it's a classic, but to pick it for this... It's an instrumental version, dude, and you're about to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll say before we get going real quick, I set myself the parameter of trying to not have any post-rock this time. You did, yeah. I mean, that's... It's a broad definition. Did that help or hinder you? You know, some of... Um... Uh, it's more that I kind of feel like so many of my top fives today have included a lot of post-rock and I kind of wanted to avoid the usual suspects here. So we'll see how we go. There's some tracks here that you could probably consider to be in the post-rock vein, but also uh, that's just one of those like, oh God, let's get super technical and pedantic things that we don't like doing on this show, listener. We like to just have fun with these things, right? Have fun with the top five. Do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Let's get into my... um kind of eclectic but somehow utterly predictable list as well this first one is um from an artist that's kind of known for his distinctive voice so here's an instrumental I just love us all sitting on the Zoom call listening to that. <laughs> it was a nice moment of quiet contemplation, which I feel like the episode needed. Yeah, it really was. Supplied by um, Tom Waits uh, with the song Closing Time, taken from the album of the same name. Came out way back in 1973. His debut, I believe it was, yeah. And yeah, Tom Waits was 24 years old once. And if you listen to the rest of the album, you would not know it. Um, he didn't have the kind of gravelly voice that he's became known for. It was more of a velvety croon, but he was still, like, he sounded like a man that had lived. Like, there's a song, Martha, on that album where he's, like, singing about how it's been 40 years or more since I've seen you and all this kind of stuff. He's 24 years old. Um, but yeah, this is, like, him very much in jazz mode at the start of his career. And I think he was boxed in with a lot of standard issue 70s singer songwriter types and while this is kind of accomplished it's um it's conservative you know it's him excelling in a field rather than we know what he's going to go on to the likes of rain dogs and he's you know buying his own field on kind of godforsaken lands and just setting the whole thing on fire but this was him just doing kind of quite standard stuff and just doing it absolutely beautifully and the melody to this just feels like it was around forever. I don't know how he, he just kind of snatched it out of the air. And the sessions apparently were quite trying. Uh, just reading about it, songs producer Jerry Yester says that was the, the recording. This was the one time they didn't really mess it up. There wasn't any aggro over it. He said it was the most magical session he's ever been involved with. At the end of it, no one spoke for what felt like five minutes, either in the booth or in the room. No one budged. Nobody wanted the moment to end. And it's that kind of song. Like it's real closing time music. It's a real kind of 3am in the bar song, um, which I kind of forget what that's like. But yeah, just for a few moments, you can capture that feeling again. And it does feel like God is in the room when this is being played. 
Yeah, 3am in the bar usually has me rambling about a Mogwai album for about five minutes without anybody interrupting Craig. Ah, so, yes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Just some glasses clinking in the background, really. Um, Tom Waits, I feel like this is the first time he's appeared on a top five, which is, you know. I would say so. He's very welcome. Um, you kind of hinted at it there. He's one of those people that you simply can't imagine not being in this permanent state of like, I don't know, 50 something and just, you know, life under the collar. I, like, I can't imagine him as like a college student, you know. Yeah. And I think, like, even starting out, he wanted to be a character in some Jack Jack Kerouac novel. So it's really hard to really get to the essence of what he is. He wears so many different hats. But when you strip away the lyrics and his kind of character studies and the voice, you just get this kind of unvarnished beauty. And I love how close up the piano is. It reminds me of actually a little bit of um, Dreamliner Wild Beats. I think Mark Conroy, friend of the show, once said you can kind of hear the piano lid lifting and the kind of, you know, the panels of the floor and stuff. And that, that is that kind of, you know, the same recording here where it's just so, so intimate and beautiful playing all around. I mean, that cello is gorgeous. Just, you know, the horn on it. Just brilliant. Really good. I think that was friend of the show, George Morahan, but we'll let them was both it? Have okay, it, George, my apologies. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, it's one of those ones, man, you know, both of those guys famously aggro, you know, don't don't want to get either of them after <laughs> us. So just for the clarity, who knows? I could be wrong. But listen, let's keep that tone uh, somber with my number five in the instrumentals. for me it's new order and elegia elegia i should probably learn how to say it i've been saying elegia for so long but it is a latin or a greek term for elegy thank you craig um yeah so new order like elegia uh in english literature an elegy is a poem of serious reflection usually a lament for the dead however for all its pervasiveness the elegy remains remarkably ill-defined sometimes uses a catch-all to denominate texts of a somber or pessimistic tone sometimes as a marker for textual monumentalizing, and sometimes strictly as a sign of a lament for the dead. That might be the most um, highfalutin description on a Wikipedia page I've ever seen. Um, (laughs) But yes, this was written by the members of New Order for the departed Ian Curtis, lead singer of the band's former incarnation, Joy Division. And um, it's a hell of a piece of music. It was kind of something of a... like an underground myth almost for a long time, because... It took a long time for the full version to arise. Like, this track initially is from 1985 on the third studio album by New Order called Low Life. But in 1993, their drummer Stephen Morris said in an interview with uh, Select Magazine. That's one of those magazines where I'm like, is that still around? I feel like I've seen it. That's got to be gone, right? It's got to be gone, right? Select, yeah. I don't know, maybe. Um, There was like, uh, the album version is five minutes long. But the full version of the track is 17 and a half minutes. And... (laughs) That's, yeah, I mean, like, that did see the light of day, finally, in 2002, as part of a box set. Um, It's an incredible piece of music. I guess it kind of has that kind of connecting, you know, uh, jigsaw piece between the bands, more so than maybe any other of their tracks. Um, Totally does, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's basically a Joy Division song, right? Um, But it has the epic scope as well of A New Order. Uh, I didn't actually know of it or hear of it until... 
I want to say 2014 when the first trailers or the first proper trailers for Metal Gear Solid 5, The Phantom Pain came along, the big cinematic trailer in which this was in. And that trailer, by the way, is maybe like it's got to be in like the best trailers I've ever seen for any piece of pop culture, any piece of media. And it made me be like, this is going to be the greatest game of all time. <laughs> And in the end, the game was a massive disappointment. Uh, incredible gameplay, but the narrative... Yeah, it's fun, but the story is... Yeah. The story is... And, like, listen, Metal Gear Solid fans, everyone knows that the story is always completely fucking crazy uh, and so overwritten, and that's part of the fun, and I love them, you know? I think, like, Sons of Liberty is my favourite one, but, like, it got away from Hideo Kojima. It's very clear that that happened. The game doesn't even have a proper fucking ending. But I was so disappointed. But that trailer, man, that trailer with like all these these <laughs> we'll promising, always have the trailer. These promising new characters, like the incredible game engine that was being teased. This was such a big thing, and this track in it was just like, I don't know what it is. I think there's like there, there's like kind of um, there's just this like nature of 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 particularly of like trailers and. I think no matter where you're from, who you are, how old you are, like, it's just a universal cool, right? You're like, that looks cool. That makes me feel cool. And this track yeah. is fucking unbelievably cool. I love it. Uh, 17 and a half minutes for the full version, which I listened to today before the show. And I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's a bit of a slog. <laughs> I was going to say, is it worth it? I, I know mean, the album version. Like, yeah, the album version is great too. But like, yeah, so like you get like that big kind of cool guitar like fucking grim reaper style thing that i played for you there uh that happens after 10 minutes on the uh 17 and a half minute version and then there's like still like seven more minutes of just like fading out and playing and i'm like go on the lads go for it <laughs> apparently uh yeah it did it popped up in uh stranger things it popped up in the crown so someone at netflix is obviously very involved with it um yeah i like i like i I think it's a it, it's a fitting tribute to Ian Curtis, and it's an incredible piece of music in its own right. And you can pick whichever version you prefer. Yeah, um, it's interesting to hear them kind of dip back into that kind of deep well of stuff because obviously, I suppose Ceremony is very much a Joy Division song, which they came out the traps with. But then they moved into the very ebullient, like dance orientated. And I guess when Bernard Summer is singing as well, he's just naturally got that upbeat thing going on. So like this appearing on side two of I think Low Life where it's just like you know there's songs like Love Vigilantes on that and stuff and just really peppy synth pop and then you've got this doomy masterpiece which is cool it's very kind of Cure-esque as well um, yeah nice choice I wasn't thinking of this one New Order right. or Joy Division listener who's the better band I don't know and we're not going to get it into is, it it is <laughs> it's New Order <laughs> Yeah, it's probably New Order. Go on. It's probably New Order. All right. Um, okay, I almost wasn't picking something from God himself because I was running into my usual um, split vote problem, which you never seem to understand as a problem. Go on. You know, where it's like, I, I can't pick one song, so none of them are making it. You know what I mean? Well, it's like a really isn't... grim twist on Sophie's choice. I was about to say, like, I appreciate <laughs> the the discipline here or perhaps yeah. the extreme commitment to masochism, but I, like that we I, both I have our... We both have our foibles, is that what you're going to say? No, I was going to say approaches. Like, like, come on, accentuate the positive, Craig. We're All really right, well, good at what we do. The positive <laughs> is I eventually saw sense, because this was just an earworm that got lodged in my brain for the entire week. And I think this is as representative, maybe, as you can get with this guy.
Aphex Twin there with Aegis Polis, Agapolis. That's another one where I can't quite pronounce it, but you don't need to. It's from Selected Ambient Works, 85 to 92, um, which is, yeah, this is my favourite from that perfect ambient collection. Um, it kind of smells to me like DCU's library because that's when I first discovered it. It was in the days of, like, downloading rare files. Do you remember that? Like, oh, I've got, like, all of this music now on my iPod. Um, and I just kind of gobbled this up Um so so good like he's you know he's such an interesting artist so many different styles this was just him kind of he claims this collection started when he was like 13 and you know you never really know what's fact and what's fiction with Aphex Twin but he started off you know um getting spectrums to kind of work as synthesizers and all this kind of stuff and you've got this really deteriorated linear sound that he somehow gets like these masterpieces out of across this work um and yeah, this is just so simple. It's it's a really good showcase, I think, for his songwriting. Just how the various passages fold into each other. And it's, yeah, it's as much kind of like abstract expressionism, I think, as like Eno style ambience. I do think he like did the Eno thing maybe better than Eno. As much as I love like an Ascent and 1-1, I think Richard D. James, man, you can't really look past him. And so influential, just even listening to that kind of booming bass it's almost like an early trap song or something he's just everywhere everywhere i listen to music i just hear aphex twin this but is not the, quite as good <laughs> uh, well i mean like this is the part where i very much a novice uh come to you with the question of like because i find aphex twin to be so overwhelming so uh just the idea of i'm like where the fuck do you start what mood do you have to be in what kind of sound setup do you have to have i mean what kind of social circle do you have to frequent i don't know i'm just i, I found apex twin more you so don't than, have to be on drugs dave if that's yeah, what you're asking <laughs> i mean listen i mean like yeah like let's let's call a it spade helps. a spade <laughs> but like i just kind helps of feel if you're a sky boy i just kind of feel like 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 it's it's it either happens for you or it doesn't i mean like like I, I kind of feel like I would almost be missing the point to be like, right, I'm going to get into Aphex Twin today. But if I was, what would I do? Take me through a day in the life of Craig Fitzpatrick, Aphex Twin Stan, please. It depends what you're looking for. If you want some ambience and some nice background music that will just very much come to the foreground, I think Selected Ambient Works 85 to 92 is really good. Um, volume 2 of that as well is, is great it's him really leaning heavy into the ambience it's kind of now seen as like a touchstone moment even though I think it was poorly reviewed at the time but if you kind of like your window lickers and your more upbeat stuff I don't know Richard D. James album there's so much stuff maybe you're better off just going to like a Spotify playlist maybe I'll make one Dave all right, that's all I really wanted to, to get out of this, so that's what's happened. Uh, my number four is uh, slightly more obscure. Let's go. So this is a track called Untitled 2 by an act called The Green Kingdom, which is the name of an artist from Michigan called Michael Catone. Like, it's cotton with an E at the end. Um, I know this from Hotline Miami 2, wrong number, that video game. It is the title screen music, essentially. And, like, this is yet another classic example of me being like, don't know that much about the artist. Can't say that much about the song. But what I will say about (laughs) this track is that, like, um... 
I very recently kind of got into it independent of the game. And the Hotline Miami games, if you've never played them, they're on like PC and PS4 and such. Uh, like hyper violent, you know, drive inspired. We've talked about them before on our video game music episode when we spoke to Benny Smiles, who has had music featured in that game, an Irish producer based in London. And he was very gracious with his time to tell us about his experience in getting a track into the game. Uh, the game being the one that has this track playing over the, the top of it, really. And so this track in particular comes to feel like the theme music for the game. It comes to feel like that kind of thing. And it's very hazy, very deliberately washed out, very kind of meant to just wash over you. The track as it continues almost has a wave sound crashing here and there. I put this on a playlist for somebody recently when they asked me, I offered to make some of the playlist a few months ago and I think they said to me, yeah, but call it uh, In the Bleak Midwinter, which I guess is reflective of the mood that we're all in. And I put this in there. I put it on another place as well called Autumn when I was making this kind of particularly moody, uh, very instrumental, kind of heavy kind of music. And I found it to be actually an incredible companion. I found it to actually be an incredibly rewarding piece of music that has small, subtle changes, like that guitar kind of coming in there. And again, transportative. Um, it's one yeah. to kind of take on walks. It's one to kind of get lost within. And also on top of that, well, I guess it's an excuse for me to talk about video games, Craig, because I saw a tweet doing the rounds there this week and it was talking about the idea of like, you know, hey, video games fucking rule and they're actually really good distraction during this time. And, you know, it's maybe not cool for an adult person to say that they are. And I'm like, I don't know if, uh, like, like about that. Like, I'm not the biggest gamer in the world, but I have found, and it's something we talked about in the video game music episode. I know you're a big fan of that game, Celeste, and you chose music from it, yeah. but like, Lately in particular, I'm like, yeah, man, video games are like, between that and like watching movies all the time, I actually don't, they don't feel anymore to me like, uh, like, you know, kind of like, I don't know, slovenly exercises. It's very much like, no, they, these are actually the, the helping me. The new culture, me. man. But yeah. they're actually helping me like, like, like completely switch off my world and kind of go somewhere else. So uh, I guess what I'm, what I'm really trying to ask here, Craig, is have you finally finished Red Dead Redemption 2? Um, I finished the main game and I'm on to the epilogue where I'm kind of like, should I waste my time with this? Um, I might spend my Saturday with it just to get it done. It's very idyllic and it's very soothing. So, yeah, I'm I'm over the main storyline, which was kind of heart wrenching. And what about speaking of The Last of Us Part 2? Did we talk about that? Did I own a copy that? of it. It's um, installed. <laughs> it's on your, it's, on it's your downstairs. It's <laughs> I am, it's very daunting, Dave, as you know, where you're just like, I know once I got in, I'm all in, baby. That's true. Yeah. And I've heard, you know, it's, it's, it's been so kind of, the the reviews have been so mixed. Yeah. Um, It's another case of like, great gameplay, shame about the story by the end of the game. It's also incredibly long. It's going to take you about two years to play it, knowing you. Yeah, okay. But yeah, this music rules. (laughs) Knowing you. No, I didn't mean it. It it sounded much more... (laughs) I know, you're right, you're right. I'm I'm also like halfway into Zelda as well, which is great. Um, So maybe I should finish that first. But yeah, this track is uh, (laughs) Untitled 2 by The Green Kingdom. It's fucking great. I found it to be a really, really good, almost meditative thing and i'm not really very into meditation so if it helps me switch off my brain maybe it'll work for you on title yeah. to the green kingdom it's fucking awesome check it out but let's get you into meditation dave all right get fine. ready to open your third eye with my third selection Can 
I just say? Uh, I love this, whatever it is. That's the O of Pleasure, Dave. It's by Ray Lynch. It's taken from his Deep Breakfast album. And speaking of games, I, I believe this was on one of the GTAs, I think four. It was on the Journey radio station. Um, but I actually know it from a real radio show. Um, and I've got a little clip of the intro to this show. And it's it's quite a vibe. Check it out. Welcome to Dreamland. A program dedicated to an examination of areas in the human experience not easily nor neatly put in a box. Things seen at the edge of vision, awakening a part of the mind as yet not mapped. And yet things every bit as real as the air we breathe but don't see. This is Dreamland. This indeed is Sunday evening. Yeah, man. That was Art Bell, the late, great Art Bell, uh, who was better known, I think, as host of Coast to Coast, which you might be aware of, which was like a a late night uh, US radio show in the 90s. And I actually think it's still going with a different host, but it was basically like the first big, uh, like aliens, Bigfoot, conspiracy theory um, radio show. And just like truckers would call in at like four in the morning. And there's like loads of it on YouTube. It's really relaxing to listen to. But Dreamland, and actually the the team tune to that was The Chase by Giorgio Moroder, so he had really good taste. And then Dreamland was like his Sunday night show where he got like really out there. (laughs) And there's clips online and it's just, it's great. It's really good for switching your brain off. Um, But that was my way into this. Um, I don't know a huge amount of Ray Lynch's stuff. There's kind of a pattern um, forming here with our choices. And he's very, he's quite new agey. Like, do you know what I mean? He's like, if you read a bit into his backstory, he kind of, um, he learned how to be a guitar soloist in Barcelona and learned composition and was in a kind of renaissance quartet. And then he talks about learning to play the lute before he found a guru. And then he's like living in California. You know, it's all that kind of new age electronica stuff. Um, but his good stuff is really, really good. And this in particular... It almost has like a physical effect on me. I don't know what. It kind of outdoes Jean-Michel Jarre, um, which I don't say lightly, of course. And yeah, it just makes my heart kind of burst. It's very mystical, mysterious. And yeah, great, great song. That intro is quite beautiful. And listen, all the love in the world to our our great friend Bantam, whose track Move is, of course, our intro theme music and serves us absolutely beautifully. But now I'm wondering if it's too late to rebrand the show altogether, (laughs) Craig. And let's let's get weird. But let's not get weird. Let's get nostalgic. It's the 90s. Buckaroo. And young Dave is staying up past his bedtime to hear this. think you're the only one who knows about jazz craig do you uh in fairness you no are no one really knows jazz <laughs> <laughs> it's a state of mind i don't know anything about jazz but i know what i like and i like this quite a lot this is i wish i knew how it would feel to be free by the billy taylor trio it was of course the intro music for bbc's long-running film series so like film 98 film 97 with barry norman a show that was quite amazing until barry norman left for a big money move to sky and I couldn't see him because I didn't have Sky. And then I think but you had Jonathan, Jonathan Ross, Jonathan right? fucking Ross took it over. Yeah. And that was the end of that. But it was a different time. 
a magical time of, again, staying up past your bedtime, school the next day, being obsessed with film from a young age and loving this show, which gave you access to a whole world of things, clips from films, trailers. What are these? You know, films that won't be out here for months and months and months and a very, very different time altogether, as I say. And this music just has that incredible bring me back to my front room power. Um, it's a hell of a track. It was written by Billy Taylor and Dick Dallas in 1963. Uh, the original song didn't have lyrics on it because like it, this one has kind of had a strange journey because this is an instrumental. This is the version that was recorded in 1967. Um, it was kind of hard for me to actually track down the full origin story of this, but shouts to a journalist by the name of Alison Gunn, who wrote an article for the Financial Times of all places in 2016. And I'm going to read you out a couple of paragraphs from that now because it will summarize it better than I can as I stab in the dark to try and understand cool. jazz. Uh, to generations of British TV viewers, its full octave, syncopated piano chords and grooving bass are instantly recognizable as the theme tune to BBC's film review series. But to Americans, I wish I knew how it would feel to be free as deeper resonances being best known as a civil rights anthem. When Nina Simone recorded it on her 1967 album Silk and Soul, it almost instantly became a freedom song. Up there with a the change is going to come and blown in the wind. Yet this irresistibly catchy 16-bar gospel jazz tune began life as an instrumental. Born in 1921 in North Carolina, composer Billy Taylor was a gifted pianist who built an impressive jazz pedigree working in New York with bebop luminaries such as Dizzy Gillespie, Artie Shaw and Charlie Parker. By the 1960s, he was also a broadcaster and civil rights campaigner and recorded many albums mostly with his trio. Booking that trend, the first recording of this song on his 1963 album Right Here Right Now had a big band lineup of 19 musicians. It goes on to say that when it was finally whittled down into this version, it was with the trio. Um, when Nina Simone sang I Wish I Could Break All the Chains Holding Me, because the whole point of the song is that it didn't have lyrics, Billy Taylor was encouraged by his daughter to put lyrics onto it. Nina Simone picks it up and becomes this huge anthem. Uh, it says the floodgates were open. Simone's artistry and passion took the song to another level, one that resonated not only with the civil rights movement, but with issues of identity and individualism. As I note, it has been, you know, used for lots of different kind of pop culture things as well. Lots of covers as well. Um, it was also in a fairly sappy Coca-Cola ad in 2004 with altered lyrics, simultaneously exploiting and betraying the wholesome sentiment of community oh. and togetherness and overcoming oppression. But hey, that's the advertising industry for you, right, We were Craig? doing so well. We were doing so well. And jazz, of course, you know, very much a, you know, a form that started because artists were a bit sick of just rolling out entertainment for white people and this was going to be elevated to an art form. So yeah, when you kind of compromise jazz, you compromise everyone really but um, Dave true. you've let your you've let your guard down now you're going to regret this choice because I've got some Keith Jarrett and Duke Ellington albums that you should really hear <laughs> sure listen bring them on I mean like, like in fairness I'm okay with it I, I should say that like this is on the as it goes on you get like lots of um spirited hand claps and hand claps for me I may have said on the show before they're kind of I'm I'm allergic to it, it like I can't stand it. It just it, it just shakes something within me. It's not like it's not even like an objective thing. I just I like the sound of it just kind of is nails on a chalkboard to me. But I put up with it in this song because, like I say, uh, happy memories. And I think it's obviously like I mean like it's an incredible piece of music. It obviously went on to become a, a huge anthem for an awful lot of people around the world but uh yeah i just think about watching film 98 man and i love that time and it's an amazing piece nice. of music hand claps or finger clicking 
Uh, songs. I, oof, I, they're kind of both the same, right? They, they both have the same very sharp effect. But I think some people like can listen to it and love it, and it never bothers them. But for me, I'm just like, get me out of the room. It just please. get lodged in your brain. Can't yeah, stand it. Can't stand it. Okay, my runner-up, and this has featured in a previous top five. Uh, it was not one of mine. It probably could have featured in a lot more, to be honest. Um, and like listening to it about a year ago, I remember thinking I kind of need Dave to like agree to do top five guitar solos or something just so I can talk about this. Um, but it ended up being picked by David Tapley. Um, let's have a listen. Yeah, so that was Funkadelic, uh, Maggot Brain, uh, title track and opener from that album from 1971, uh, I believe. And yeah, Tapley picked it as one of his uh, favourite long songs, I believe. And yeah, I won't really talk too much about it because we've discussed it before. I did, like, I had to put it in. I, I know we kind of want to expose people to new music and stuff, but hey, maybe that's for No Oxcord and patreon.com forward slash No Encore if you want to get some new discoveries. Um, but this is just so mind-blowing. I think it's the best solo, maybe, of all time. It's just 10 plus minutes of something else. And of course, famously, it's it's Eddie Hazel on um, guitar. Um, he was, his idol was Jimi Hendrix. I think he kind of almost outdoes Hendrix in what he's doing here. And George Clinton, the band leader, basically said, play like you've just been told your mother died, <laughs> which he did. And then the second half, like she's come back to life. And somehow you can hear that. And there also might have been drugs involved. But um, yeah, Funkadelic were kind of, I put them on the long finger for a long time. They just have one of those really intimidating back catalogues i guess and that confusion of like parliament records and which were the funky ones and this one is a good entry point i think if you're more of a fan of the rock kind of stuff it's a nice way in i think the backing here sounds very similar on first listen to um radiohead nude uh big ideas um which i think might be tom york's best vocal performance it's just something about that backing lend itself to really creative expression and from there there's the likes of can't uh, get to that there's there's a lot of stuff that um you might recall i think can you get to that was used as a sample in real real it's another tremendous song um but yeah highly recommend this album and this as a standalone piece is just something else entirely um and it's just it's quite dark it's quite philosophical you know the whole maggot brain thing it's about hardship and kind of rising above it um people have talked about actually the title kind of references george clinton finding his brother decomposing uh in a chicago apartment which is just rough i mean the cover art is you know screaming woman's head coming out of the earth and yet somehow it's just extremely life-affirming uh really is it's a miracle of a song You've managed to, I guess, you know, serendipity and play here. You managed to kind of set me up perfectly for my next one, for my number two this week, for a couple of reasons, which I'll get into when we hear this incredible kick in.
So, actually, sorry, I was wrong. Three things that you've kind of set me up with for this one. This is 65 Days of Static, also known as 65 Dust, and the track is Tiger Girl from the album We Were Exploding Anyway. They're a UK experimental kind of math rock outfit. Slight tinges of post-rock, but more so the mathy stuff, I guess. Uh, a band I'm a huge fan of. They're excellent. And I mainly pick this one to encourage listeners to go and listen to them if you never have, because they are absolutely brilliant. Um, maybe like a lighter side of the Mogwai coin here, you know. I think you, you might find a bit more kind of sunshine bursting through. Um, but yes, so the other kind of things here. Number one, I also like Craig with the last one, although you did end up saying quite a bit. I don't have a ton to say here. This is more of a big recommend that I want to throw in. As Craig says, more recommends coming on NoOxCore, Patreon.com, slash NoOncore. But also... Uh, guitar solo yeah like you mentioned like you know guitar solo i was like oh my god i've got one coming up because like that solo <laughs> that you heard there that kick in i've heard this song i don't know how often like certainly more than 100 200 times i love it it's incredible it makes me feel 10 feet tall it's fucking brilliant great for running great for just you know again escaping the world but like every time i hear it the kind of precursor there that we cut into the end of that precursor goes on man it goes on for a long 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 time and every single time I'm waiting for that kick in to happen. And in my head, I'm imagining myself, you know, at a sold out arena gig, Peter Frampton <laughs> picking up a guitar and putting it on in time. I always get the kick in wrong. I always, I'm always wrong footed by it. There are some tracks where like, like, like Surf Solar by Fuck Buttons, which could have been in here, which is an amazing piece of music that has a big repetitive, 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 repetitive build. And then this release. And every single time with that one, I know when it's coming and I, and, and I'm in sync with it and I click it. But there's a weird trickery of play with this song, Tiger Girl by 65 Days of Static, where that life affirming guitar solo coming in, it's timed so perfectly. And yet every single time I miss it by a bit of a step. And I wonder if that's intentional or if I'm just so flummoxed by the whole thing. But yeah, this almost made my long songs as well, and I got bumped at the last minute, so glad to finally get it in here. The message for you, listener, is if you've never listened to 65 Days of Static before, start with the album Wild Light, I would say, or go to this one, which is We Were Exploding Anyway. They fucking rule. Craig, what's your number one this week? Okay, um, more guitar work coming up, and um, yeah, this is me getting a bit jazz. Let's do it. guitar work there from Sonny Sherrock. Uh, the song is Who Does She Hope To Be? It's um, it's a cut from 1991's Ask the Ages, so I was steering clear of some of the canon stuff and the 50s and 60s work, which um, Sherrock was involved with. Um, he kind of went way back, played with some of the greats. He collaborated with the likes of Pharaoh Sanders um, back in the day. And indeed, Pharaoh Sanders was on this album as well, um, along with the likes of Elvin Jones, just some legends, but kind of, you know, these legendary figures that had been in the wilderness for a little while um, and this was kind of an incredible comeback you know Sonny Chirac was one of the kind of um, main exponents of free jazz I guess deeply indebted to the likes of John Coltrane wanted to um, be a horn player all his life um, 
and kind of i think in his teens just had his his asthma prevented it happening um so he said he considered himself a horn player with a really fucked up axe so he was playing the guitar like that and i think it really translates and there's yeah there's just something about this that really really gets to me it's it's amazing as well it's it's kind of tough to track down uh you'll find it on well it's not really you go to youtube and you search it i love how that's now tough to track down it's not on spotify <laughs> it took me days but i got but a high there. quality version you'll probably have to track down the outer print vinyl i think there was there was a reissue last year but um it's got it's colored in with some of the kind of nicest youtube comments as well just ever like there's a message from 10 years ago it's a a bit frightening as well when you see youtube videos with like comments from like a decade ago as well uh but from his daughter um jasmine shrock and it just says um this album was was one of my dad's dreams and his greatest accomplishments thanks for posting and thanks for all the loving comments and there's just really nice stuff underneath then you've got a phil shrock just being like this makes me so proud to be a shrock um and just lots of people then getting very technical and jazzy about yeah he's got great action yeah really dexterous work it's like you're <laughs> kind of missing the point but it's lovely um and yeah uh sonny shirk passed away he had a heart attack in 1994 apparently and he was just on the verge of signing his first major label deal uh after being so influential so he did leave this and it is a great accomplishment and it's just it has that vibe of like he's playing it out you know over some canyon and just kind of notes are spilling out into this never-ending sky and it's deeply moving it's one of my favorite pieces of music and uh hopefully you get something out of it too that's my number one yeah absolutely um all right for my number one let's uh let's get mesmerized let's do it German musician and composer Niels From. The track is called Says, S-A-Y-S, as in he says. Um, do I have this? Did you interview him at a festival? Yeah, it was a festival chat. I think it went for about 15 minutes and he was a nice uh, <laughs> nice dude. But yeah, it was kind of one of those um, pretty superficial festival chats. He was an interesting guy as well, though, but I don't have really much in the way of recollections or great anecdotes from it. It was like a really kind of cool in and out 15 minute job yeah I, <laughs> in well, and I mean, out 15 minute job <laughs> again you're back to your football manager mode here like I mean uh, no one got injured it was great a good run out for Craig and for Niels um, so essentially I uh, this is an artist because at the time I was very much like who is that guy like I didn't really know him and yeah. I have to credit um, it was a big deal <laughs> Apparently, he is a pretty big deal. I have to credit uh, friends of the show, Dahi O'Droni and David Higgins, for kind of their guidance. Uh, Higgs, in particular, uh, with the film Ad Astra, which he's a big fan of and has an incredible score, uh, which features music by Max Richter and Niels Fromm and others. Uh, and um, Dahi's just a huge fan as well. So um, it's just this kind of spacey, beautiful, you know, interstellar stuff, which is very appropriate for a film like Ad Astra. And in this one, I'm again, I'm playing you kind of cutting to the chase. I'm playing you the ending here where like that gorgeous piano run coming in at the end under, underneath this kind of mystical thing that he's doing. Um, I watched, if anybody has the, the film service movie, uh, I watched, there's a concert film from last year on there called Tripping with Niels from 
and he plays like a 10 minute version of this and it's just outstanding stuff uh it was it's a great thing to throw on either in the background if you're working or if you're doing some exercise or whatever an hour and a half job uh now i'm saying job on top of everything um and, and in particular like this guy appears to be like uh quite an incredible gear hound because some of like my god like some of his like toys <laughs> like these yeah. wooden wooden pianos and like massive synths just around the place he's got like kind of a an lcd sound system that time they played the olympia style setup just this unbelievable thing that i'm pretty sure dahi is uh slowly modeling himself on uh, based on some of the recent stuff he's added to his own kind of collection so good model just beautiful technical stuff that i don't understand but i love looking at and hearing and this track in particular has been one that i've been kind of carrying around me now for a while um i've just found it to be extremely mesmerizing as i said before he also did the score for that film victoria which we did an episode on for no popcorn and again you know you talk about like the weight of the piano keys and just this wonderful use of just even like kind of dissonant noise and kind of white noise static stuff coming in over it um i still don't know enough of him like i've i've gone back to some records like felt and other ones like that as well yeah. spaces but i've yet to fully crack the code i guess but from what i've seen of what he does i'm like this guy appears to me to be kind of in a league of his own and this track in particular was just like yeah it's one that if, if i if i want to get lost it goes on so it says by Niels From, go check him out and do check out Tripping with Niels From if you have access to that film because it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, actually his track Ombre was in my long list as well. He's got some great stuff. He does have an album called All Encores though, which is definitely a mark against him. Great guy though yeah. he is. <laughs> yeah. As we know, there can only ever be no encores. And on this episode of No Encore is now coming to a close as well. As noted, it's patreon.com slash no encore if you want to help out the show. Hugely appreciated. The latest track by track episode with Ace Smith is in your feed right now. Craig and I will be recording a brand new No Ox Chord in the coming days. Uh, full of recommends. I'm very much looking forward to that one. And uh, yeah. How you doing, buddy? That was um like that was a niche one. That was a kind of a like a, a seriousy one, which I enjoyed. But I are we going to get frivolous next week? I think we should saying? get frivolous next week. Yeah, I mean, I like I, I don't have a top five to mind right now because generally here's some behind here's some exciting behind the scenes stuff for you guys. We tend to like have those chats after the episode, see how it goes. But yeah, I'm feeling kind of frivolous, man, for next week. So something kind of humorous, maybe possibly. You know? All right, let's do it. I'm up for it. I'm game. That was uh, emotionally draining, but vital, I think. I think we- <laughs> it's been an emotionally draining start so of the year. One week on, one week off, I think. Yeah, it's like, it's kind one of like the for Hollywood. Them, one for exactly. us. Yeah, yeah, it's the Hollywood studio <laughs> system. It's yeah, one for them. This one was for the for the gearheads and the jazz hounds. Uh, last week was for uh, the pop mavens. I don't know. Like, why why am I adding weird? Do we fucking- have a lot of pop mavens? Do you reckon? Uh, maybe possibly, yeah. A couple Hopefully. of people message me saying you're a pop really... maven. Get in touch. Yeah, get in touch, pop mavens. Oh, Adam, <laughs> Adam's Adam's raising his hand. He is, Adam he is everything is, to Adam us. Adam is DJ. Everything. You are the everything, as <laughs> Michael Stipe once sang. All right, I think we're delirious now. That's enough for the show this week. <laughs> Thanks very much, Craig. <laughs> once I start quoting Oriem, we're out. <laughs> That's always always welcome on the show. Uh, my name is Dave Hanready. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. Back next week. Go listen to all of the music that we talked about on this, apart from Random Access Memories, because it fucking sucks. Bye. This podcast is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. 
So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot, Neil. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.